Original content. Content. Compelling discussions. Audio on demand. This is a Podcast 225 production. The issues. What's going on now? What's happening in the state? The people. Carl Dabity. We've got Michael Shingleton. Taylor Moore. Jay Darden. Congressman Garrett Gray. Richard Condon. He is Ryan Clark. Sharon Weston Broom. The podcast. And we're going to talk about that. This is The Clay Young Show. Thanks, Neil. Welcome to episode 242 of The Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Apple Podcast app. If you haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button there for us. Share the word about what we're doing and what we're talking about here at podcast225.com. There is so much going on around the nation and specifically relating to the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, and the transition phase that we are in right now. And I've got some things to say about that as we open the show. Also, a shooting in Georgia is raising the ire of people across the country. And quite frankly, I can't understand why so many in elected office or so many in government often get this wrong. And I also can't understand why they don't see how they are a part of the problem. More on that in just a moment. Our guest on the show today is going to be George Bell, the CEO of the Capital Area United Way. If you're listening in another part of the country, the Capital Area United Way is the United Way branch that represents 10 parishes in the capital city region of Louisiana around Baton Rouge. Their headquarters is here in downtown Baton Rouge, and they do amazing work. George Bell is a former hospital administrator and has been really one of the assets to this community running the United Way and having so many involvements, if you will, in other areas of community and business here. And we're looking forward to having him back on the show. He will be here in studio and and there will be a treat in this one. Actually, a first on the Clay Young Show in 242 episodes counting this one this will be the first time something like this has happened and i think you're gonna love it i think you're gonna love it so stick around for that i referenced a second ago the stay at home or the coronavirus and here in louisiana now the state legislature is about to take up a measure to strip some of the governor's declarative declarative powers his ability to declare a state of emergency in the state. And this is largely because of conservative members of the legislature wanting to force the governor to reopen the state and allow businesses to open up and start conducting business again. Now, you've got two sides of this argument here, as you know. You've got people who see this virus, as we all do, as a big deal, but who are saying, hey, it looks to be more under control today than it was, say, 10 weeks ago. And people right now are hurting. Businesses are hurting. People don't have income. The stimulus money isn't enough for a great number of families. And you have to remember, there are families who aren't getting any stimulus money. So the legislature here is trying to hopefully do this and force the governor to make a decision without having to get to that extreme. It made it out of committee. It's going to go to the House and then would have to go to the Senate. The Louisiana legislature is overwhelmingly Republican, almost completely veto-proof. In other words, almost at a position where even if 
the governor vetoes this, they have override authority almost in the in the legislature. And so that's where we are. See, I can see both sides of this, and I know that's going to probably piss some people off, but, you know, it is what it is. I can see both sides of this. As a business owner, I get it. I, like a lot of business owners, have lost revenue. Now, I've tried to comply as much as possible and, and do what I have been asked, as many of you have. But you see that some businesses have been closed almost entirely since the end of February. And they're thinking, everything I've worked for is about to go away because of this. And if I can take a chance on saving my business and hopefully helping my employees, why shouldn't I take a chance of doing it, especially if I accept the consequences for that decision? And I see that argument. I see the argument of people who've said, who are saying, we have been in the house for a very long time. We're ready to get out and get back to some semblance of normalcy, even though we know that coronavirus as a reality is here with us to stay. I see it. I also see on the other side, people are, who are concerned about what this virus has done because they have lost loved ones or people that they have known. There's a member of my team who died as a result of the coronavirus. So the whole thing about it being a hoax and that it's not really killing people, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. I, I, I've experienced it, thank God, you know, well, that's horrible to say, but thank, no one in my immediate family has died from it. And, and, and God knows that I don't, that doesn't mean that I, that I don't have respect for those who have lost people close to them because of it. I'm only being honest. I'm, I'm, and I, you know, I'm not editing that out. I'm just, I'm shooting you straight. I'm sure a lot of you count your blessings every day that you personally close to you haven't been affected by this while offering condolences to those who have. So you see both sides of it, the, the illness side of it and the business side. So I don't know about right or wrong in here. I mean, again, I can't get ang- angry on either side. I will say this, telling people who want to save their business or telling people who want to be able to go back to work that you are doing something wrong or you are selfish or making them into monsters, come on, that's a little over the top. And all that does is motivate more people to want to go against the grain of what has to happen. And again, the coronavirus is a serious thing. Now, I know some of you may disagree with me on this. I understand. I understand. I also, as I said, and, and, and you know, the, pro- the problem with now when issues come up is people feel like we have to agree 100% on everything. And it's just not a real place. There are going to be times where people disagree. And I'm okay with people who disagree with my position on n- a number of things. Many of you may be disagreeing with me and calling me crazy on this. That's completely fine. You've got a right to your opinion. I have a right to mine. But I'm telling you, there has been so much misinformation about this virus. There has been, in some ways, so much overreacting and in some ways so much procrastination that it's hard to know which line is the strongest one. And that's why we are where we are right now. The one thing I would advise, though, is that people who are in elected office will just take a step back from the rhetoric and talk about the facts. Keep this to, hey, businesses, 
business owners are pressuring their representatives to do this. That's what this is about. Because if you remember when this started, the Republicans and Democrats in the state house here, and, and really in many ways in Congress, were in lockstep about us needing to do something. Maybe not so much in Congress, because that place is a dumpster fire. But I'm telling you, here it was a little bit different. Now you've got business owners, and I know a bunch of them, who are calling representatives and who are really touching on that high level and saying, hey, y'all, y'all need to open up. We can't do this much longer. We won't be here in 2021 as a business if we keep this up. Now, you've got people saying, well, if you go out there and catch this virus, you might not be here in 2021. That's how crazy this is. So my hardline conclusion on this is I think we need to start to allow some businesses to reopen. I think you phase it in gradually, but you need to start phasing it in because people are going to do it anyway. Look at last week. Cinco de Mayo happened before I recorded, we recorded this show. And there were people out and about slamming margaritas. I mean, there were pictures of people at outside restaurants sitting on top of each other. I was not one of them. So it's going to happen. So you got to get out ahead of it, in my opinion. But I think business, business owners do have a point that they should be able to make that decision as long as they accept the responsibility And for citizens who are going out, people are going to do it anyway. I don't believe in locking people up because of this. Like there there are are cities that want to that have talked about locking people up if they don't have masks on. Seriously. And by the way, from the perspective of any business owner out there, they're going to say that pastor and, and central won't call his name. Never stopped opening his church, never stopped having his Bible study, never stopped having people gather and nothing was done. When he was arrested, it was arrested because he allegedly gunned his bus at somebody. That's why he got arrested. He didn't get arrested for having people in his church. So if he can get away with it and is publicly flouting the recommendations of elected officials, and you know he is, how can you tell a business that they're wrong when you're allowing when you're allowing, excuse me, grocery stores and liquor stores and 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 places like that to be open? I'm just saying, you gotta see both sides of this, and I do. So take that for what it's worth. Now, on a more controversial matter. Many of you have heard about the story concerning Ahmed Arbery, an African-American male who was running in Georgia in February, who was, it's February 23rd, as a matter of fact, who was shot by a couple of men who chased him, who say that they thought he was involved in some of the robberies or car break-ins that have happened in their neighborhood. Now, video has surfaced that shows those two guys ambushing this young man, getting into a tussle, and then shooting him with a shotgun. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation got involved, and they are looking into this. Here's a quote from someone at uh, GBI. I realize that emotions are running high in this community and they are running high throughout this state. 
And the last thing anyone wants to do is extend us any patience. But I also realize that this investigation must be done correctly. Now, as I understand it, these men have not been arrested. The district attorney for Glenn County in Georgia, Jackie Johnson, has recused herself from the case because one of the men, Gregory McMichael, worked as an investigator in her office. He was former law enforcement. He retired a year ago. George Barnhill, the first outside prosecutor, according to the Associated Press, stepped aside in mid-April at the urging of Arbery's family. Barnhill has a son who works as an assistant prosecutor for Jackie Johnson. So this story now is catching fire because you have a black man being shot by two white men. And that, of course, is going to be the lead in the story. Now, last week when we did this very show, I sat where I'm sitting right now and was outraged about the foolishness that started with domestic violence that ends up costing a man his life and then costing a police officer his life and sending another one to the hospital. And I talked about how ridiculous that was and why do people, why did people have to get shot that day? Why did this guy feel like that was necessary? I feel the same way about this. What the hell are these guys doing? Okay, this is what feeds all of the racial animus that there is out there in the South and particularly because uh, towards law enforcement, because this guy used to be former law enforcement. Why would the the authorities in that community not arrest these guys? They don't need to be chasing somebody with shotguns. He wasn't in their home, which is a whole different situation, which I believe in people's right to defend their homes. Let's say they don't even know that he's, let's say they have no idea he's jogging. The fact is they see him coming. They see he, he runs by. They decide, hey, let's go get him. How is that okay? It's not okay. In as much, and, and, and this is not, because this guy wasn't on the job anymore. I can say a whole lot more about this, and I would love to be a lot more colorful, even even more so than I am about this. But this is the kind of crap that doesn't help anybody. Why sit on your hands about it? Not even an arrest? So this is going to stoke racial flames, cause more problems at a time that we don't need to have these flames stoked just because... People are dragging their feet, and that's what this looks like to me. There, I can't see anything that has been reported so far that in any way makes what they do, what these guys have done, within a million miles of justified. And when officials let the investigation... An arrest, the family is saying, just make an arrest. This is the way I felt about... The Trayvon Martin situation. Seriously, George Zimmerman was a little douchebag who followed a kid and was asked not to do it. And then all of a sudden, Zimmerman becomes the poster child for gun rights. Are you freaking kidding me? Just do the right thing. That's all. 
If you arrest these guys and start the process, at least people can say the system is trying to get the job done. But when you do nothing and use excuses, people see it for what it is. You didn't do your job. And you're, you're not helping the community, black or white, by not doing your job. Procrastination is death and stupidity is worth, worse. And this is a combination. Seriously. Just one man's opinion. You don't have to agree with me. But I hate to see things like this because it just doesn't help anybody on both sides. And then they lied in the 911 call. Ridiculous. Let's talk about something positive with George Bell in studio next. Podcast225.com. This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at OpenEyesSafetyTraining.com. We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. Have any of you out there experienced an unfamiliar sensation when you're out in your lawn or garden and that's being bitten by a gnat? Because I have, but I know a guy who can help you with that. Oh, I can help you with that. John Conroy is here. What do we do about gnats that bite? These are likely what they call buffalo gnats. Okay. They're in the black fly family. And yeah. they do bite yes, with they a do. vengeance. They'll attack yes. you. Yep. Uh, or it could be midges. If you're okay. in the yard and you're getting bit but, and you don't see anything, mm. they are either really tiny buffalo gnats or midges. And the best thing you need to do is treat the entire yard with a liquid product. Okay, I know I can get this stuff from you. How hard is it to apply? It's like you can put it in a garden sprayer and you can pull the triggers. <laughs> I can it's do not rocket science. I can do that. In the Baton Rouge area, where can I find Pest Stop? Well, in Baton Rouge, we're located at 806 O'Neill Lane. That's about a block south of Old Hammond Highway. Or give us a call with questions at 273-4788 because we can help you with that. Here we go. Here we go. This is the Clay Young Show. Back with George Bell. How about that, huh? <laughs> Can you recognize that? Oh, yeah. That's Sheila E. That's right. George is chief executive officer and president of the Capital Area United Way. The United Way has been around 133 years in the Capital Region. George's organization, of which I'm proud to serve as a board member, services 10 parishes. So the footprint is large and the amount of people served is equally as large. How are you, my friend? Clay, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me again uh, on this beautiful day. It is a beautiful day, and there is there is so much going on. And I'm going to say this at the beginning so you guys will be ready for it. We have a treat for you today that even I didn't know was going to happen today. And that's all we'll say. So stick around. The end will be something that you will be talking about. Having said that, COVID-19, we are now more than two months into this new reality in which we live. Let's talk about what United Way has been doing 
and talk a bit about where we're going. Well, Clay, um, and, and again, it's it's great to be here. I appreciate you giving me this space to update the community on uh, the the wonderful things Capital Area United Way has done and been doing. Um, uh, when I first came, we were talking about the importance of that two one one line, that two one one information line, and uh, we are still uh, receiving calls uh, to that line uh, for. COVID-19 information. Yeah. Uh, we're well over 50,000 calls now. and uh, uh, But the calls or the volume of calls has tapered off a little. Uh, the, the nature of those calls has changed a little as well. Uh, instead of having uh, folks call about COVID-19 and the, the, the medical side or the patient uh, or the safety side of that, uh, we're starting to get calls about the needs that are being created now as a result of folks being out of work, folks needing to know where they can get food, where they can get rental assistance, things like that. So the economic hardship that we were uh, concerned about is starting to kick in now. So it's taken on a different uh, different uh, area of focus and, and we're happy to be here. That Again, that's that's what that, that 211 line is there for. Uh, we make sure we get as much uh, information, up-to-date information as we can to make available to our um, citizens in our 10 parish area. The We were talking a second ago about the new reality that people face now and how so much is going to be different from doing business to either, even the way we congregate yes. as neighbors. If you are kind of moving ahead to the other side of this being when we get back to the post COVID normalcy, Mm -hmm. how will that impact what you are doing and what you expect from the community? Okay. There there are two, two ways we're approaching this one in the short term, we're looking at what can we do and what resources can we bring to bear to help those folks who are in need uh, of information, who are in need of, resources and need of support uh and to that end we are doing things like um uh, we started a a uh, d- uh, initiative called united we feed mm-hmm. so we are looking at um making food available to um, uh individuals uh especially the alice population yep. in our community that uh, and alice stands for asset limited income constrained but employed those are folks that are that are working uh, or that were working up until this pandemic uh, that were living paycheck to paycheck and now they find themselves in a very vulnerable uh, position. So we, we are working with um, uh, partners such as uh, Capital City Produce. Uh, we're looking to provide uh, fresh produce for families uh, and we're starting this, this week. Uh, I'm not sure when this is gonna air, but we're starting uh, this week uh, to provide uh, uh, fresh produce boxes to um, those Alice employees that are on the front line of nonprofits. Yeah, we felt that that was a that was a good place to start and pilot this project, so that we can refine our process and then move to other populations as we uh, as we uh, get further into this. But that's one area. Uh, another area is uh, we we definitely don't want to lose the sight of of the importance of showing gratitude. So right. uh, we work with one of our um, a good friend of mine, a physician who had been 
has been on the front line working uh, for one of the uh, at one of the hospitals here in town uh, to uh, provide patient care for COVID-19 patients. But he noticed something uh, in his uh, work and noticed that uh, several folks were um, appropriately giving uh, a lot of attention to doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're the ones that that became kind of the 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 symbol for uh, the sacrifice and, and all the the good work that was going on. Right. But he acknowledged that there were other folks who were quote unsung heroes, and what he did uh, was. He reached out to us and said, George, I'd like to do something for these unsung heroes. These mm. are the folks that clean rooms. These are the folks that, uh, uh, you know, prepare food. These are folks that make sure that instruments and, and things are, are, are uh, you know, sanitized and everything. So uh, we created uh, or we started a, a Physicians United fund. Uh, to focus on unsung heroes. Okay. And, uh, I mean, it is beautiful to see physicians recognize the importance and others recognize the importance of these these folks. And many of them are Alice. So yeah. we're, we're yeah. working on some things to draw attention to them and to uh, kind of show them gratitude as well. You know, hospital staff, I think people don't understand how exhausted so many people who work in hospitals are from doctors, nurses, and the staff that helps the building function, maintenance and, you know, custodial and all of that. And that plays into why it's so important for us to be able to get to the other side of this curve to to flatten it out. So that's why this is so wonderful. You, as, as United Way, also serve as kind of a keeping house for individuals, organizations, companies that want to get something to the community yes. and they don't have a conduit otherwise. Yes. So how is that work going? It's ongoing. Uh, we work closely with our corporate par- partners. We have over 250 corporate partners mm-hmm. and they give us, uh, number one, the, the, by virtue of being corporate partners, they allow us to raise funds in their organizations via uh, payroll deduction for their employees. But in addition to that, they are fertile territory to recruit volunteers and, and folks who, who have a passion and a heart for serving. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of matchmaking. We match uh, organizations that have employees that have an interest in doing that with needs that we become aware of in the community for volunteers. Okay. Now, the social distancing makes it a little tougher to sure. to, to do kind of hands-on volunteer work, but, but uh, we're... F- finding ways for employees to get involved in doing things that that make a difference. And it's just gratifying to see how willing our community is to step up and and serve. This may be a a question that it's too early to ask, but I think we have to think about it. A, A great number of these nonprofits, and I can think of a few, but I won't call their names, they interact with the community, with the public in close quarters. Right. And it you know, there are groups of people in rooms, whether it be seminars or in the case of one organization, Family Road of Greater Baton Rouge, they're interacting with pregnant mothers and fathers. With social distancing now being such a new reality, how do you think that is going to impact the numbers of people served by some of these nonprofits? Because the numbers served impact the kind of grant dollars that they can get. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And and to give you a, a good example of that, there are a number of nonprofits that, that 
that serve the uh, kids, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, with through summer camps. Right. And we're getting into summer camp season. Well, we realize, and everybody realizes, that many of those camps will either uh, not be able to uh, function the way they have in the past, or they will have to function entirely differently by seeing fewer fewer uh, mm-hmm. kids. So one of the things we're we're working with, and and, and I credit Pat Van Berkeley Berkeleyo from uh, Boys and Girls Clubs. They he convened a group of of uh, other nonprofit leaders who have and run summer camps. They're looking for ways to kind of creatively come up with um, ways for uh, kids to participate virtually in some of these programs. Now that may that may um, limit the the revenue that some of these organizations receive because mm-hmm. many of them require on you know kids uh coming to camp for their revenue uh but we're looking at ways where united way can help uh bridge that gap right and, and help them figure out how to make that uh those virtual classes uh a reality so you know and and going back to giving and this is why every time you're here and i've said it independently of you being here why it's so important to support united way not just the history as we said the the organization is 133 years old 95 years in baton rouge 95 years in baton rouge and so think about that you know it was it was started so long ago nearly 100 years here and you get the history of why the reputation is so pristine when when over time a lot of organizations have not stood more than a century and in this area nearly a century yeah so if you if if when you look at the future for united way and accepting donations from individuals and companies how is all of this changing that work because that space has has had to have shifted some correct oh it has it and even before covid it it had already changed was starting to change you now have digital platforms where uh individuals can can give directly to organizations as opposed to giving to an organization like United Way. So the question is always, what is the difference that, uh, that giving to United Way, uh, and, and you know, how is that different and what value does that add? And one of the things we do is we rely on the collective wisdom of volunteers to help us, number one, make good in, good decisions about where and to what level to invest in in the things that our community tells us they want us to focus on. Number two, uh, we build in accountability to uh, for these nonprofit organizations that receive funding from us so that there is a high level of confidence that the work that they're doing is aligned with what the community needs and is also uh, important uh, from the standpoint of their ability to execute. So we, we look at both sides of that and uh, with the vetting on the front end and the uh, accountability on the back end. Okay. That's, that's really the big, big It is. It is. There. So let's talk about um, some of the, the testing that has gone on here from the perspective of the medical facilities all kind of being on and and with all due deference or, or respect to the areas not known as Baton Rouge, but they're kind of all on team Baton Rouge with the general and the lake and everything that's been going mm-hmm. on. You know, you've worked and run hospitals. What do you think about this camaraderie across the board for medical facilities and professionals? 
Well, Clay, I'll tell you, we're blessed in this community to have a, um, a group of hospitals that are, you know, fierce competitors. Yeah. But they have come together uh, and they have figured out how to work together, especially in this time of need. Uh, the fact that they uh, collectively came together and set up the initial testing site at Baton Rouge General Mid-City uh, to uh, do the uh, uh, drive-through testing uh, was was just uh, incredible, and it, it it met a need that was uh, uh, desperately needed at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, and then they went further, and they actually uh, created this surge uh, uh, site to handle inpatient COVID nineteen patients at Baton Rouge General Mid City, mm-hmm. and did that in like real short order. Yeah, I mean yeah. It, that was impressive, and. Uh, and it was near to, near and dear, dear to me because that's the the hospital that I was administrator. Right. At. So right. I was very um, I was very pleased to see the organization uh, make that asset available to the community and to see the support around the uh, from from the various uh, health facilities uh, and institutions here to support that as a uh, surge facility for um, COVID nineteen patients. It's been really good to see, and I think here you've had a lot of organizations and, and, and industry kind of reach out and say, hey, what can we do together? The restaurant industry has partnered together in ways, and they have been very, very hard hit by this. They have. And, and continue to be. And continue to be hard yeah. hit. And I think, you know, not every restaurant, it, you know, some of the bars, are. it's going to be a while, and many of them will never get back to the reality they had before because client people are different. Even younger folks, you think even younger folks are different as it relates to social distancing. Yeah. Especially, you know, the, the more educated they are, they're like, you know what, maybe we don't need to be in big crowds anymore. So, uh, and, and then there's something going on that you mentioned and, and I want to ask about second line for our front line. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, probably Four or five weeks ago, I was approached by uh, Deborah Sternberg, a dear friend of ours. Yep. And uh, Deborah um, mentioned her desire to do something uh, special to acknowledge the uh, those folks that in healthcare that Mm -hmm. have been on the protecting us by serving on the front line of this COVID nineteen virus uh, pandemic, Mm -hmm. and she came up with the idea of using the 19th of every month. Uh, So we started in April, April 19th, at the 19th hour, uh, which is 7 p.m. Yeah. Uh, She, you know, wanted us to do something special to acknowledge uh, what those healthcare workers were doing on our behalf. So the first one went off. We got recorded messages from uh, Drew Brees and from the governor and from a lot of folks. Uh, And then folks were able to upload their own uh, videos of them ringing bells. We encourage people to ring bells as well at that specific moment in time. Well, we're moving now into May, and we're looking at doing something of course, in a in a much bigger way, because yep. we're starting to see that that we're hopefully on the tail end of, of this this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And we want to do something in, in a much more grandiose way. So right. the, the thought this time is to do a second line for our frontline 
um, uh, healthcare workers. So sure. second line is so unique to uh, our South Louisiana culture that we felt that we needed to do something that would embody and would incorporate uh, the unique culture of South Louisiana. So we're sending a call out to uh, musicians across the state to upload videos of them doing uh, and playing when the Saints go marching in. Because right. that's, you know, and, and the thought here is that song, you know, speaks, to, first of all, it comes comes from a, a kind of a, a gospel yep. tradition. Yep. But but that song is also the song uh, that the Saints have, have adopted as their theme song. And In fact, what, it was one of the, it was one of the motivations behind the naming of the team in 1967 that they were, and, the, and their first game ended up being on All Saints Day, but oh, wow. the, the song motivated the name of the team. So it, wow. it's not just a coincidence, it's on purpose. Wow. All right. Well, what we are going to do is uh, we're going to try and uh, get the the entire state and the musician population out there that has also been impacted by this yep. this uh this pandemic we want them to get in on this yep. so for uh starting at uh 7 p.m mm-hmm. on the 19th of may going for 19 minutes we're encouraging folks to just do their own second line and video <laughs> it and upload it to this this website great way to get some exercise too. it is it is and to get back into the swing of things yeah. of uh you know what our what makes this state so unique right right so you have a treat for us and i, I mentioned the treat never one to not pay off a uh, a tease or something, George. And this is the thing about George. I'm going to embarrass him a little bit, but he's, he, you know, he's just going to have to deal with it. Uh, <laughs> as he is an amazing executive at his organization, and he he referenced for those of you who don't know that he was a hosp- hospital administrator before taking over the job here with United Way, and has been stellar at it. But he is an exceptional musician, and many have seen him perform, and you know this to be true. But you are about as humble about it, and I appreciate that. I always tell people I can't stand modesty, but I love humility because they're different. Modesty to me is dishonesty. Don't don't pretend not to be good at something you're good at. Just say thank you when somebody tells you you're good. And I think that, but you are good at it, and you never make a big deal out of it. And even before you, you give the treat, can you talk about what music means to you and and how you have been able to use that God-given ability that you've worked on to help others? Well, well Clay, and thank you for that. I mean, you you're you're kind to to uh kind of share the 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 fact that I have a passion for music. Uh it's a lifelong passion. Mm-hmm. I've been playing since I was 9 years old, 5th grade. Wow. So, it's over 50 years I've been attached to this instrument. Uh, but I consider it a, a ministry of sorts mm-hmm. for me. I, uh, you know, I am blessed to be able to play at church mm-hmm. as well and, and to serve. But I've all, also used it as a way to bring joy, to 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 bring um, uh, hope, uh, and and it's just 
you know, it's another gear that I can shift into uh, when it comes to connecting uh, with people and, and bringing uh, and inspiring folks. So absolutely. So I, I, I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm almost always willing to, to do it. I do it as you know, sure. for, for, uh, nonprofit right. organizations and programs and things. So, so it's just something I, I do and I enjoy doing. And, uh, you know, the, the, the beauty of, of music is that it's, it's, it's a universal language that you can share, uh, with just about anybody, uh, anytime. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, adds value to life who's your and i don't want to do this too long but you're not going to talk about music a whole lot so i got to get you while you're here and you're on the subject i have to ask you these questions motivation or or inspiration in terms of musicians people that you've looked at who 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 has inspired you you don't have enough time (laughs) (laughs) different musicians for different reasons uh certainly as a trumpeter you know, folks like Miles Davis, oh, yeah. uh, Freddie Hubbard, oh, yeah. uh, even my my colleague uh, and and dear friend uh, Wenton Marcellus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what what he has done, what Wenton has done, uh, as someone from my generation who can can play impeccably well. Oh yeah, but but he also has become a a a, a wonderful teacher and is so willing to share. Mm-hmm. And you talk about humility. I, I love that about him, his willingness and ability to share what he knows and 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 share it freely. So he's an ambassador for Louisiana. He, he is as an well. ambassador for. He makes us look so good everywhere he is. Exactly, exactly. So I have many though. I, I mean, they're they're musicians locally that mm-hmm. I I just uh, love and admire and respect. Uh, so it's 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 a pretty long list, man. I love, gotta say. love to love to share, love to sit down with you and talk so, about that. So one the, I, this this puts me in the mind of of a podcast rap session that we're going to have to have at some point. And by the way, I know the first text I'm going to get when this show is up and the treat is paid off, and it's going to be from Curtis Chastain because uh. Chastain is going to say, "I wanted to be first because <laughs> he's him and the V tones and oh, yeah. Kyle and all yeah, of them." Yeah. So so what you got there for us, brother? Well, I mentioned this this uh, uh, second line for our front line. I'm going to kick it off, albeit early. It's not on the 19th, but uh, hopefully this will get folks in the mood for uh, what we're anticipating uh, come May 19th. All right. This just became my favorite Monday of 2020 all of a sudden. This is, I did not know that was going to happen before this day started, but man, that is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. And 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 talk about the gauntlet being thrown down. <laughs> Here we go. So this is great. So if people want to learn more about this, where can they go? Who can they call? What can they do? So go to the website 19thanks, okay? 19thanks.org and uh you'll see the information there about how to get involved, how to participate and what's, you know, and and, and the schedule is to 
to when things are going to happen as well. Wow. I'm I'm beyond uh, amazed at that. I mean, I'm excited about it after seeing you do that. And, and it's amazing. And I will say, throw in this plug that if, if anyone is out there wondering, how can I help? How can I give back? Me and my family are OK. We're not worried about where our next meal is going to come from or bills. And you're thinking, well, I want to help people who aren't like me then the way you can do that is through the United Way. Yeah, C-A-U-W.org. And we have a COVID-19 relief fund. So by all means, uh, folks can, can do that. Another thing I failed to mention is uh, uh, Ann Connolly has graciously uh, created a, uh, an auction. Uh, she got one of the artists, local artists, to uh, donate uh, three pieces of, of art, and that art will be auctioned off this uh, Friday, uh, okay. the 8th. And uh, it is something that uh, she has been doing. I think this is her sixth uh, week of doing that, and uh, it's just so kind on her part. Uh, the information, uh, I think it's uh, at Ann Con- Connolly's uh, uh, studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have the website in front of me, but but uh, you can uh, also look at our website, CAUW.org, for information on that. Ladies and gentlemen, George Bell. The only interactive podcast in the capital city that lets you help solve a crime. There was a shooting. Okay, is someone shot? Yes, someone is shot. The Crime Stoppers podcast with Clay Young. Just some suspicious people running through the parking lot before. Real stories. It was my first love. Real crimes. Real people. Real justice. The Crime Stoppers podcast with Clay Young, exclusively at podcast225.com. Hi, this is Mayor Sharon Weston Broom inviting you to listen to the We BR podcast, an initiative of my Women's Advancement Commission. Our show will air the first and third Wednesday of each month. We invite you to listen to our podcast by visiting www.podcast225.com. That's www.podcast225.com and by subscribing through the Apple Podcast app. That's We Be Our Podcast. This is podcast225.com and The Clay Young Show. How about that, huh? George Bell doing his thing. <laughs> if you've never seen him in person, it's it's pretty amazing. Hey, you got a little free concert when the Saints go marching in here in studio. <laughs> Courtesy of George Bell. Enjoy the conversation, too. You can get involved with United Way in all the ways that he talked about. That organization does some fantastic work, and as you can tell, I am on board with what's happening there. Literally on board. I'm on the board of the Capital Area United Way. Hey, thanks for being here. As we transition into this new normal with COVID-19, I know a lot of you are probably listening as you're driving around or maybe listening in your office. Just be smart out there. People are going to do what they're going to do. But be smart. Take this thing seriously. I think the social distancing has been something that a lot of people have applied. I mean, the South is a place where we hug and greet each other with you know, hugs and handshakes and pull it. And that's everybody's doing the elbow touch or the fist bump. Pretty soon all our elbows will, will stink of hand sanitizer. <laughs> so, 
you know, it was good. All right, next week, we are going to talk with a representative from the Baton Rouge General Hospital about what they are doing. If you remember, <clears throat> they were out in, in front on some of the testing that was happening in the Capital Region. So we're going to talk with them about that next week. And Chris Stewart, retired Baton Rouge Police Detective Chris Stewart, is going to be here. I first met Chris. Well, I'd known him before then, but I first got to interact with him in 2005 after the killing of a Baton Rouge police officer when he was president of the union. And he's going to be here to talk about what's happening in the aftermath of another officer being killed here in Baton Rouge. Last 15 years, we, like many communities, have seen too much of that, way too much of that. And so he'll be here in studio with us on episode 243 of the Clay Young Show. You guys be blessed and be safe. And we'll catch you right here next time on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Clay Young Show.